the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. For the first time in Chicago, some 911 calls for mental health emergencies won't be answered by police, but by mental health professionals paired with paramedics. It's a pilot program starting this fall. Paramedic will be dispatched with a mental health clinician for behavioral health calls. And another pilot, a paramedic, will work with a recovery specialist on calls involving substance abuse. Hmm. Oh, my gosh. Are you... They have no idea what they're getting into. Have they even ever done a ride-along yet? Well, Alex Heaton, who is Mayor Lightfoot's, Mayor Triplefoot's, their policy advisor for oh, public safety. And by the way, you did tweet out a picture of him. Yeah, he, I'm trying to get exactly, trying to, he's sort of like a fat sideshow Bob, maybe a, a hairband refugee from the 80s. He kind of looks like Sigourney Weaver, but a uh, larger Sigourney Weaver who's transitioning. Yeah. But you know what? Let's not Like when, when she was possessed in Ghostbusters? Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe like. kind of hard on this kid. Like. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Dan Fogler uh, the, uh, from Balls of Fury. Okay. Yeah, maybe something like that. He's just trying obscure. to do the right thing, you know. They're so woke over there. He's super excited about it. Should, super excited. Should, should Chicago residents be super excited about it to help us with that question? We're pleased to be joined again by Rafael Mangual, who's a senior fellow and deputy director of legal policy at the Manhattan Institute for Policy Research and contributing editor to City Journal. Rafael, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much for having me back there, Amy. Uh, So uh, you heard what uh, Chicago is piloting. Uh, Good idea. Should we be super excited about it? I don't think it's something you necessarily should be super excited about. Um, definitely something we should keep a close eye on. I mean, we, we do have some interesting examples uh, from around the country of, of similar initiatives that I don't want to say have necessarily worked, but have not been in t- total disasters. The, you know, the, the sort of best example is the, the CAHOOTS program out in Eugene, Oregon, which is you know really a model for a lot of police departments that are trying to do the same thing. But one of the things that 
I think people don't quite fully appreciate is that even successful or semi-successful programs like Kahoot don't really have the capacity to deal with this problem in the same way that the police do. I'll give you a quick, a couple of quick numbers here. The Cahoots program, which, which you know, sort of reroutes certain calls to mental health professionals, community advocates, et cetera, away from police, uh, they were on, that program was only able to cover just 17% of 911 calls. Um, and in roughly one of every 67 calls that they initially answered, they had to call for police backup anyway. The reality is, is that there is not a jurisdiction in the country that has the ability or, or the means to answer every single call that would ideally be routed or rerouted to a mental health professional uh, without using police. The, the, the number is just too high. I mean, if you, if you look at, you know, New York City, I think we get, you know, hundreds of thousands of calls, uh, you know, in a year. There aren't enough dedicated mental health professionals willing to work 24-7, which is, you know, when police are on. And when a lot of these calls come in, they often come in late at night or on the weekends. Um, there just aren't enough to, to take this on. Yeah. And it, 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 and, and, you know, and by the way, the um, not a total disaster is, should not, I think, be the threshold for a particular exactly. program or policy. Um, number one. Number two, Chicago is not Eugene, Oregon. Uh, and, um, you know, responding to a mental health issue in one of these shooting gallery neighborhoods is not the same thing as responding in sort of isolation to a, re- a relatively safe environment where you have somebody who's got a mental health issue. And it seems to me. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and just one That's more. Exactly right. But, well, just one more sure. point, and then, and then let, I'll let you respond. It it also seems to me that this is just completely reversed, as you're saying, building on what you were saying about police. Police, and then if you have, if you're flush with cash and you can uh, uh, afford to have a mental health clinician assigned to police officers or assigned to go along with police officers to a particular type of call, uh, which Chicago isn't, but uh, but assuming that it were, okay, that's fine. But that's the right order. They've got the sequencing wrong. I think that's I think that's right. You know, the the two other points that I want to make here is one is that we've actually done uh, analyses that have have looked at the how predictable nine one one calls are uh, in terms of what kind of call it's going to turn out to be. There's a, a really fantastic study out of Philadelphia, and and what they found was that uh, things that are eventually determined to be crimes can initially appear to a, a, a 911 dispatcher to be a public health-related call and vice versa. In fact, about one in five 911 calls are not at all predictable from the nature uh, of the information that was communicated to the dispatcher, which means that often you're going to have police showing up anyway because it's going to turn out to be just not, not the sort of situation in which you want a, a non-officer uh, responder going to. The other point that I wanted to make is that I think people need to understand that this is not an initiative uh, aimed at improving public safety. This is not a crime control measure, which is really what Chicago ought to be investing in at this time. I mean, last year, the city saw something like a 55% increase in homicides and shootings. There's no indication that there's going to be a drop-off from that this year. Uh, why this is where the money's going is beyond me. I mean, if, if, if I were making policy in the city of Chicago, I mean, one of the first things I would be doing is, is patching the hole in the police department because officers are leaving in droves. Right. Well, what do they hope to accomplish? I mean, if you look at the big picture, we've had close to 2,000 shootings so far this year, and eight have been police-involved shootings, and three of those ended fatally. So are they just hoping to thwart off any possibility of police brutality? 
that the end goal here? That's exactly what this is about. That's exactly what this is about. This is about, you know, uh, reducing, quote, unquote, police violence, even though we know from the data that police violence is an extraordinarily rare outcome mm -hmm. of even the most fraught kind of police-citizen interactions, right? More than 99% of all arrests in the United States are affected without the use of physical force, any physical force whatsoever. And in the cases in which physical force is used, 98% of suspects walk away without any injury whatsoever. Police shootings are extraordinarily rare. We see uh, intentional discharges by police of their firearms about 3,000 times uh, a year, right, right around that. That, If you look at you know, the number of arrests that police are making in a year, about 10.3 million, uh, you're talking about 0.003% of all arrests ending with a police shooting, the vast majority of which are, are justified. So. You know, the idea that we have this massive police violence problem that we need to solve is just wrong. What we do have is a massive violent crime problem that we're not doing nearly enough about. You know, if I was a Chicago police officer, I'd be championing this program. Hey, I, 36 Chicago cops have been shot so far this year, and it's only July. Uh, hey, great. Yeah, you want to you want to respond to these calls that I don't have to, you know, you know, put somebody else on the line and um, and see how they like not being backed up by the civilian political authorities. Um, I mean, it's a sad commentary, but I mean, if when it's every man for himself and you don't have p the political backing that uh, you need to be effective, then why put yourself in harm's way if you don't have to? Right, right. The problem is, though, is that at least above, if any other programs that are similar across the country are any indication, police are still going to get called to a ton of these scenes, right. irrespective right. of this program. Right. right? It, it's been it's been shown time and again that a, a significant percentage of these calls result in, in requests for backup from, from armed officers. So it's not like they're going to be totally relieved of this burden. Um, and, and that's problematic because, you know, I think the Chicago uh, Police Department has been sending some mixed signals to its rank and file. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the foot pursuit policy, a new policy on yeah. tasers, um, you know, uh, I, I, I think, yeah, officers are, are, are rightly uh, feeling exasperated about what it is uh, that they are going to have support from the city on. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a recipe for disaster. That's what the city, I think, ought to be concentrating on more. Let me get uh, your take on something else in, in the city in Chicago. Uh, more than 50 Chicago public schools have until Wednesday to uh, decide if they want to continue the school resource officer program and uh what what is your perspective on having police in schools having a, a school resource officer in schools particularly in schools in high crime neighborhoods and i say that against a backdrop where it's not that long ago after you know terrible uh massacres like parkland where we were talking about how to harden schools and so on and so forth and now because of the left's defund the police movement, now we're talking about stripping schools of police presence. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really the same. It's, it's, it's out of the same playbook. Um, so, you know, the, what happens is you get a viral incident of a school resource officer using force on camera in a way that doesn't look good. Um, people seize on that to uh, argue that this is actually, you know, part of a broader trend when the data don't support that argument at all. And then they, they move to deprive uh, schools in high crime areas that could actually use school resource officers of those resources. So, uh, you know, again, I, I, you know, I'd be happy to be corrected uh, if I'm wrong, but so far as I'm aware, there is not uh, a school resource officer violence problem. Uh, force is not particularly likely. Serious charges and arrests are not particularly common. Um, 
so yeah, it, it's just a, a solution in search of a problem. Um, and it's, and it's really weird. Aimed at serving. Well, well, the one school that did have a, an alleged, you know, police brutality case, it turned their their LSC voted to keep their officers well, in school, and I, I know our LSC voted to keep our officers in too. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. Which I'm glad. I like the extra protection. The schools leading the way in terms of dumping police are, of course. Jones the schools, Prep. yeah, Champaign Socialist Jones kids, Prep. Jones yeah. Prep, for J- example. Jesse Sharkey's son goes there. They don't need, so they're going to use that fifty thousand dollars to put uh, equity, uh, some equity person, uh, equity chairman of student body, in. you know, ridiculous. It, it's one of those things where it's it's so insulting because you have the luxury of safety, and and so you can signal about you know your solidarity with the Jones Marxists, whereas. You know, schools in the shooting galleries on the west and south side of Chicago, you know, they don't have that luxury, at least not if you're interested in protecting kids. That's exactly right. I mean, you see that you know, with criminal justice policy more broadly in which, you know, some of the sort of fiercest, most progressive advocates for large scale decarceration and depolicing uh, are not actually in a place in which they're going to bear any of the risks that are associated with those kinds of policy initiatives, right? Crime, violent crime especially, is extraordinarily concentrated in the United States in places like, you know, Inglewood, Austin, uh, Humboldt Park, et cetera, you know, West Garfield Park. It's not, you know, a national problem. It's not even a citywide problem, even in a place like Chicago. So the idea that, you know, progressives living in, you know, safe uh, enclaves and and nearby suburbs, uh, you know, ought to be driving policy, I you know, it does frustrate me a little bit as someone, you know, who has family on the west side of Chicago, who, you know, grew up in, in a neighborhood at a time in which the streets were not particularly safe. It's, it's um, I, I think it, we would do better if more people had a more realistic idea of what life is actually like in high crime neighborhoods. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you mean even Eric Adams, you know, the Democrat nominee for mayor of New York City, say we need to be um, a little less idealistic and a little bit more realistic when it comes to keeping people safe. Uh, Rafael Manguel, Senior Fellow and Deputy Director of Legal Policy at the Manhattan Institute for Policy Research and a contributing editor at City Journal as well. Rafael, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today.